Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's the groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. This Father's Day, power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. Find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum Internet has enough speed to handle all your needs. So you can work, game, and stream with speeds up to a gig. Plus, Spectrum's advanced Wi-Fi provides enhanced security for all your connected devices. Get Spectrum Internet with fast and reliable speeds, starting at just $29.99 a month with a two-year price guarantee. Visit spectrum.com slash internet for you for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Restrictions apply. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Dolver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael Papadpina, who covered the playoffs extensively for 538 and GQ. Michael, I am proud to report I have made the cross-country journey. I bobbed and weaved through a very harrowing experience at the Orlando airport. Glad to say I survived that. Hopefully I continue not to show symptoms. Uh, Not totally sure they're aware down there that there's a pandemic, Michael. I got to say that off the top. But needless to say, I'm home in one piece. It feels great. And we are officially in the 2020 offseason. And we will be indefinitely at this point. We don't know firmly when next season will start. So that means we're going to be taking a lot of questions from the Open Floor Globe, Michael. And they emailed us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And I'll tell you what, Michael, the inbox was full. Let's put it that way. The Los Angeles Lakers fans are feeling great about themselves. 17th title in franchise history. LeBron gets one on his third different title. Anthony Davis gets his first one. Uh, You know, Lakers homegrown talent sensation. Alex Crusoe gets one after all those years (laughs) of, uh, you know, lottery trips and everything else uh, developing, uh, you know, through their system. And uh, look, they wanted to let us know that they weren't happy with our coverage, Michael. They wanted a little bit more love. They wanted to get a little bit more digs in, um, you know, back in favor of their team. So I'm going to open up the floor here uh, to some Lakers fans who wanted to get some shots in. Okay, here it comes. First of all, Kyle writes, please tell, quote unquote, the pod Pina to stop hating. Anthony Davis didn't choose his Boston Celtics because Danny Ainge is ruthless and traded Isaiah Thomas after a gutsy performance, and the Lakers gave Kobe Bryant a golden parachute contract after his Achilles tear. Why? Because of everything he gave to the franchise. Um, Magic, after bailing on the Lakers, still loves the Lakers. James Worthy is a broadcaster for the Lakers. Even Karan Butler, who signed a one-year deal with the Lakers, 
now has a job with the Lakers. We take care of our own. The Bus family doesn't use the Lakers as a tax deduction for their failing cruise business or prison telemarketing scams. They live basketball. I am tired of all the Boston Celtics media guys taking shots. And one last note, the bubble was a mental grind. Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers had their shot and they just missed. Now, Michael, I got another message here from Tyler who brought up the fact that you picked against the Lakers four times in a row. And he writes, the pod just keeps taking loss after loss. One might say he's a loss connoisseur. And Michael, for years, I've called myself a win connoisseur because I appreciate greatness. So he's saying that you balance this show out. Then he goes on to say, this episode is gold. When I called him a loss connoisseur, I was just saying that because his picks were so bad. But then he said he actually goes to the losing team's locker room after the end of the finals. Wow. Michael really is a connoisseur of L's. Michael, so where do we start? Okay, you've got two options as I see it here. We've been podcasting for a long time. You really got two options. One, you can go right back at these Lakers fans and throw them some more red meat. Two, you could try to politely tip your cap and say congratulations to the Lakers. You guys made it through the gauntlet of the bubble. Which door are you going through? So I'm going to try to uh, thread this needle as delicately as possible and and kick down both doors, if I may. Um, I'll start just by saying that, uh, you know, congratulations, as I said in the last episode many times, to the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron is, uh, if not the best player of all time, the second best player of all time and still basically in his prime. And so, you know, it's really difficult to even judge, uh, uh, to to put like a fine point on where he is historically. And he might uh, universally pass your beloved Michael Jordan in a Lakers jersey uh, at some point over the next few years. So Now you're uh, just going to troll me? That's going to be your threading the needle strategy (laughs) is to just get me so angry I flip out for 45 minutes? Is that what's happening, Michael? Yes. So I'm I'm willing to concede all of this. Uh, And I, as maybe people know or don't know, but I wrote many wonderful complimentary things about Anthony Davis uh, throughout this run. I thought that he was... Uh, the best player in the playoffs and the best player in the bubble. And uh, I would argue that he's the best player in the world right now. So all of that, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll accept all of that and say that, uh, you know, again, hats off to the Lakers. Um, I will say just uh, to Kyle's email, I'm honored that he is comparing Kobe Bryant to Isaiah Thomas and their impacts on their organi- respective organizations. That's just an incredible uh, compliment to IT, who was in Boston for uh, two and a half seasons. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to also say that uh, Anthony Davis Sr., who is the uh, gentleman, uh, Anthony Davis's father, who suggested that uh, one of the reasons why Anthony Davis would never go to uh, the Boston Celtics was because um, of Danny Ainge's decision to trade Isaiah Thomas. Um, and I think that that is, I've always thought that that was a little silly because, you know, uh, if Anthony Davis Sr. was so much about loyalty, I don't think he would have been fine with his son punting a year of his prime and turning his back on the organization that drafted him. I just want to throw that out there. Um, but this is all water under the bridge. And, 
Um, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers have a history of, you know, firing Mitch Kupchak, who's a beloved uh, a beloved architect of several championship teams, having a, a bad relationship with Jerry West, who was an all-time Laker legend uh, to this day. Um, and Magic Johnson, going back and talking about him and his love with the Lakers, you know, we're a little over a year removed from him saying that he felt betrayed by Rob Palenka. Uh, the word betrayal was out of Magic Johnson's mouth um, and uh, and the Lakers organization. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of factors here. There's a lot of nuance to be said. Um, but congratulations to the Los Angeles Lakers on winning their 17th championship, even though, you know, a few of them were in the great state of Minnesota. Wow, wow, wow. You just cannot help yourself whatsoever, <laughs> can you? Um, well, we're going to get another round of emails. Fantastic. Um, I'm almost afraid to ask this next question, but I do think that this might help explain our, our earlier podcast and our reaction, trying to put that title into context. I didn't mm-hmm. think we were being that hard on the Lakers on the, on the last episode, but maybe the, the Lakers fans are just so happy they're feeling insatiable right now. Um, I guess... The way I was looking at it was they were completely worthy champions. They wiped away the conversation about asterisk to me. They beat all the teams that were in front of them pretty handily, and they had the two best players in the bubble. So those are all things that you really can't take away from them. At the same time, if you do compare them to some other recent champions, it's hard to look at their 3 through 15 and feel like, okay, this is on the same level of teams that uh, you know we've seen here in the recent past. So Aaron just kind of asked the money question. He says, how do you rank the Lakers against the champions of the past decade? All credit goes to them for winning the championship. However, on a team that's composed of two top five players and everyone else's replacement level talent, I think this team has to be down near the bottom, right? And I think, um, you know, another critical point, I went back through and did this this morning. In terms of the worst teams to make the finals in the last 10 years, I think the Miami Heat, with especially with the injury issues, but even without the injury issues, I think they are the worst team um, of any of the 20 finalist teams since 2010. Do you agree with me there? Yeah, um, I don't. I mean, no disrespect to the Miami Heat. There's I mean, we're talking about teams that make it to the finals. So it's like these, are, you know, you're being compared against some of the greatest teams of all time. But yeah, I would say that the Miami Heat, just based on the fact that they were a five seed, based on the fact that they um, had the lowest uh, net rating during the regular season compared to all the other teams that reached the finals. Um, yeah, no, I mean, th- their it's best just player kind of a isn't like a yeah, it's not a top five guy. You know, Jimmy's you know in that ten range, right? But they don't have a top five player. You look at all the teams that have lost in the finals over the last ten years. They usually have a LeBron, right? Or they have a Tim Duncan or they have a Steph Curry. Um, there's, you know. Or that, a Kevin Durant, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, exactly. I think that uh, there's not really a lot of competition there. I asked that question to set up this one about the Lakers because I do think that's important context. I mean, you can beat a team handily like they did for the Miami Heat, but, you know, if you're comparing that to the 73 win Warriors team from a few years ago or some of the other teams that have lost the titles, even the 2014 Heat that lost the title. I don't mm-hmm. think that there's really any comparison. So when we do do the, the champions from the last 10 years, uh, I'm going to give you my list of teams I think are definitively better than the Lakers and tell me if you agree, okay? Okay. I think we have to start with all three Warriors titles. You know, 2017 was probably the best one, but I think they're definitely better. I think the 2018 version is definitely better. I think the 2015 original Warriors 
Um, although they had the hardest time getting through it, I think that they were definitely better. Um, I look at the 2016 Cavaliers and say that that team had a you know a more impressive run. Uh, you can get into a real conversation: could this version of LeBron beat that version of LeBron? But I think ultimately, like the the physical attributes that LeBron had available in 2016 probably outweigh the mental edge he has now. So I'll take the 2016 Cavaliers. I will take the 2014 Spurs um, over. Uh, you know, these uh, Lakers. And then I'll also take both of the Heat titles in 2012 and 2013 over these Lakers, just in terms of they had the big threes. You're talking about good matchups for Anthony Davis. I actually think Chris Bosh is a pretty darn good matchup for Anthony Davis if they had to go head to head. And I also think that this version of LeBron compared to the the Heatles LeBron has a massive, massive mental edge um, and just in terms of experience and game management and all those other things. So that leaves me with these three teams, Michael. The 2020 Lakers, the 2019 Raptors, and the 2011 Mavericks kind of as the bottom three. And I was hoping you could, first of all, do you agree with the seven that I mentioned? And then how would you rank those three that I have left? I do agree with everything you said. And I also think that you know, some of the teams that, well, first of all, it's really difficult to like compare teams that had a previous iteration of LeBron James on them to oh, for this sure. version of LeBron. No, it's it, like, it, it's like wine, right? Or like, you know, sneakers, which is your favorite Jordan sneaker, you know, it's like, all right, well, these are all just vintages. Exactly. So, uh, you know, that said, I think you did a pretty good job with it. Um, like, so the Raptors, well, let's... St- here's what else is complicated here. I mean, okay. the 2011 Mavericks were like playing a different sport than the 2020 Lakers, right? I mean, stylistically. Sure. So if you're trying to do like the matchup game, it's like, yeah, Anthony Davis is going to be a handful for Dirk Nowitzki, right? But um, at the same time, the Lakers benefit from like nine years of advancement in strategy and philosophy. And our mindset is going to be in a 2020 mindset. So it's difficult to kind of get back into like what the sport was like in 2011. So that, that uh, particular comparison is is very tricky um but needless to say uh go ahead and break this down no yeah i was about to say like how are we going to compare a team like the 2011 mavs mavs where it's like you know they were running pick and pops with dirk and defenses were just like flummoxed by this strategy (laughs) whereas today it's like that's a pretty basic thing that would get uh, would get blotted out, especially with someone like AD on the floor yeah, who can switch I, everywhere and just completely blow that strategy up. I don't think there's any way the 2020 Lakers lose those 2011 Mavericks. If you've got LeBron, who's over, you know, the whatever you want to call it, the choke or the shrinking from the moment or whatever mm-hmm. people called it back in 2011. If you've got this version of LeBron plus Anthony Davis, the ultimate Dirk stopper, uh, you know, maybe in modern NBA history, right? If you're going to take any guy to go against Dirk, he's probably your guy with the length to challenge those fadeaways and the speed and quickness and all that. Um, I would put the Lakers over them. Would you do the same? I think I would because, I mean, Mark Cuban even came out and said that this version of LeBron in 2020 is just so much different than the version that those Mavericks defeated so a thousand percent i mean yeah not to not even close you know like drill down too much into that but there were some shaky 
performances in 2011. And a lot of people wanted to defend LeBron, by the way, because there was so much like non-basketball fan criticism of his performance and the general calmness were coming in and saying, oh, this guy's not built for it. He doesn't mm-hmm. have what it takes. It's all that. It's like, okay, obviously those critics went too far. But if you go back and watch those last couple of games of the finals, like it's a, just a different guy. I mean, he's completely shook. Looked a lot like Jason Tatum in some of the late game moments uh, of this year's <laughs> Eastern Conference Finals, to be honest. Um, no, I, I mean, uh, no, I mean, it's an honor to have, again, like comparing a Celtic to an all-time great. It's just, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to hear. But I do think that, you know, if, they, if these two teams were to match up, um, obviously you have this version of LeBron as a post game. This version of LeBron is like a three point marksman. Like every time, I don't know about you, but every time LeBron pulled up for three in the finals, I expected it to go in. Uh, that was definitely not the case in 2011 when teams were just ducking under screens religiously to hope that he would pull up for a jump shot. Um, and I also think that if these two teams were to face off against each other, that Tyson Chandler would just get like played off the floor. And Tyson Chandler is like he was critical to that Dallas Mavericks team. He was arguably the second most important player. So it's really no question to me. I think the 2020 Lakers are are better than the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. Um, well, that sets and, up the the most interesting comparison. I think is 2019 Raptors versus yeah. 2020 Lakers because you've got two teams that are built around defense. You've got LeBron versus Kawhi in the matchup that we didn't get this year that we all kind of wanted. You've got some length in the front court. Ibaka, Marcus All, you know, the um, the Raptors can go really big. They can go small, uh, just like the Lakers can. You've got Danny Green cloned on both teams, like ready, willing, <laughs> and able to miss important shots either way. Um, you've got Lowry as kind of this major X factor positionally where, um, you know, he's going to have a, a matchup advantage for sure. Um, and then you've got Siakam again with some length to try to do something on Anthony Davis, although that's probably not going to end super well for him. Where do you come down on that series? Whew, this is a tough one. Um, I mean, I, I, I lean towards the Raptors winning, to be honest with you. I think that Raptors team had so much depth. They had so much more... Uh, uh, stylistic versatility and how they could play and how they could beat you. And I just, like, if the game was in a track meet, the Raptors could play that way. If the game was in a half-court situation, the Raptors could play that way. Uh, the Raptors could go big. They could go small. I think that last year's Kawhi Leonard in that po- in that postseason is a better player than this year's LeBron James. And I don't really think that that is all that controversial of a statement. I also think that the bodies that the Toronto Raptors would have to throw at Anthony Davis and make his life really difficult are there with Ibaka, with Gasol, who, I mean, the Gasol from that championship team is so much different than the Gasol, who just was a complete non-factor in the bubble. Uh, And Siakam who, again, the Siakam last year with Kawhi Leonard as the the primary option on offense was just a different player than the one that we saw this year who flamed out again in the bubble. So I think that LeBron and AD still get theirs individually. I don't think that they are unlocking um, so much attention away that allows guys like KCP and playoff Rondo and Caruso 
and anyone else who was a role player on this team to have success. So I lean towards the Raptors in a really tight series. But like, again, at the end of the day, it honestly comes down to the fact that I think Kawhi Leonard is the best player in that series. It's so close. I mean, I think it's going seven either way. Um, yeah. I, I definitely think we could say that the 2019 Raptors would be a much bigger defensive challenge for the Lakers than any team they faced in this year's bubble um, because of the front court length, because of the versatility, because of the presence of Kawhi. Um, the Lakers just really didn't face any of that, right? I mean, you go back and look at you know the very best defenders individually they had to deal with were P.J. Tucker, Jimmy Butler, and an injured Bam, right? Uh, Toronto has more defensive talent combined on their roster than the four teams that the uh, Lakers went through. (laughs) So that's like one way to look at it. Uh, That's pretty daunting. You know, at the same time, I think we realized late in the final series and late in a couple of the other series too that LeBron was pacing himself a little bit. So does he have higher gears that he could have achieved and, and sustained over the course of a series against Toronto that we just never really had to see because... Uh, He didn't get pushed to the absolute limit. I think that's possible. I also Mm -hmm. think, though, in a seven-game series against Toronto, it's like if AD is not excellent, they have no shot in that particular game, right? And AD wasn't excellent every single night. He had occasional off nights here and there, and so those would be like automatic losses against Toronto. Um, So you add it all up. I think I'm actually with you. I think I would take Raptors in seven there, but it's really close. And um, so that winds up putting, I guess, on our list, the Lakers ninth out of the 10th. I mean, are we being too mean here? Um, and also, <laughs> you know, looking ahead, like how uh, how convinced are you that they should be installed as the title favorites for next season? Who I mean, I do not think we're being too harsh again because, look, we're ranking champions. Like someone's got to be the worst. Someone's got to be the second worst. Sorry. Um I do think that, uh, first of all, you made a really good point about LeBron and uh, how he was kind of pacing himself throughout the entire playoffs for the finals when he, he really didn't even need to go to a different level if that was something that the Lakers called upon him to do. Um, and I wrote about that at, at GQ, just about how his minutes were so low throughout the playoffs in a way that we've never really seen before. But... He was a better rebounder than ever before. He had the highest uh, two-point field goal percentage of his postseason career, third highest true shooting. Uh, So I think that that aspect is kind of interesting when we're we're looking at what LeBron did versus what he still could have done because of the minutes restriction that he was on um, unofficially or whatever, but he was playing fewer minutes. Um, And so far as whether or not they should be title favorites, I mean... A lot is undecided with regards to free agency and trades that are going to be made, I think, for sure. Um, I think that the teams that we thought were championship contenders that didn't make it to the finals will have something to say. Uh, The Celtics, the Bucks, or whatever team Giannis is on, the Clippers, for sure, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, assuming they're still teammates. Um, and then there's other, there's like a lot of, a, lot, a few other teams, um, particularly in the Western Conference, that I think uh, can be substantially better than they were this season. So, well, thank I you don't... for saying that because look, you're setting up Thaddeus's question perfectly. Um, <laughs> 
He writes, uh, the heat no doubt caught lightning in a bottle and had guys rise to the occasion, but I think the characterization of the Denver Nuggets um, is a bit off. They were a three seed who beat a two seed, so technically they did overachieve. The perception that the Lakers and Clippers were juggernauts made it feel like everybody else was in a distant chase, but we should give the Nuggets some respect. Teams complaining about injuries is a common NBA trope, but Will Barton not playing definitely needs to be noted. He was their third best player all season, and they looked like a different team in the first round when Gary Harris returned. I'd imagine his presence would have really helped with the scoring load when Jamal Murray was resting. Um, They've been a two seed and a three seed in the last two playoffs, and they have the pieces to make a real move if they desire. I still think the Lakers have to be the clear favorites heading into 2021, but a team like the Nuggets, couldn't they join the non-Laker contender tier? Then he says, throw in a potential upgraded Dallas team and a revamped Warriors team, and the West might resemble the East a little bit as a wide open conference. And that's sort of where I was getting at with this idea of Lakers as the favorites. Um, They deserve to be the favorites to me because they just won the title. They're going to bring all the important pieces back, and they're going to have the Mm -hmm. opportunity to upgrade their roster, and they're going to be a very attractive destination for one-year free agent deals. Like, no question about that, right? Um, But I also think that much like this season saw a leveling of the superstar talent across the league, right? Everybody was just pairing off two by two by two, Westbrook and Harden, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, Ben Golliver and Michael Pina. It was just a lot of pairing going on, right? All around the league. That just kind of flattened that race out and made it a little bit less predictable to to start um, last season. I think we're going to see that same uh, sensation this year, if not more, right? Yep. And so when I'm saying how many teams are there potentially in a contender conversation, what number starts to percolate for you like at this point? And of course, there's going to be free agency, which probably cuts some teams down, maybe boosts some other teams up. But is it crazy to think eight, nine, ten teams, including Thaddeus's Denver Nuggets here, have a chance to be in this mix? Not at all. Uh, you know, heading into last season, I thought that a third of the league could view themselves as legitimate championship contenders and operate as such. So, you know, heading into a trade deadline, you know, you look to upgrade, you look to trade away future assets because you think that uh, this run could be yours for the taking. I think that that's exactly what we're going to see in 2021 as well. And, you know, there's some teams that we always forget about that should be, you know, they'll be operating as title contenders and they'll be operating uh, with enough talent, I think, to make, you know, lengthy, legitimate playoff runs. And, you know, some of those teams that we haven't mentioned this episode are like the Brooklyn Nets, who have a lot of question marks for sure. There's going to be, you know, their roster right now is not going to be what their roster looks like on opening day. And it's not going to be what their roster looks like after the trade deadline. But at the end of the day, if you have healthy Kevin Durant, I'm sorry, you're you're a championship contender. Like that's just how the NBA works. If you have healthy Kyrie Irving with Kevin Durant, you're a championship contender. That doesn't mean that you're going to even get out of the second round. Nothing's promised, but you well, have can, to view yourself as. I think if sure. you have a healthy Kevin Durant, you're a contender. If you have Kyrie Irving <laughs> tagging along with Kevin Durant, you're not a contender. Is that too harsh? <laughs> Um, it's a little harsh, uh, I think, but, uh, I'd like to see them on the court before I make any further commentary. Okay. Um, Well, here's what I want to do. Let's go team by team and just give me thumbs up or thumbs down. Milwaukee Bucks title contender. Yes. Toronto Raptors. Sure. It's a tough one, man. It it really depends on who they lose. 
and Van Vliet, front- Lowry, et cetera. Yeah. 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 But I- I'm assuming they keep Van Vliet, but if they lose some of the front court pieces, then, you know, probably not. So to me, they're kind of a maybe Boston Celtics. Yes. And guess what? I hard agree with you. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Miami Heat. I mean, I have to say yes, right? Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're, a may- yes. they're a maybe to me, honestly. Philadelphia yeah. 76ers. No. Wow, I love it. Me neither. Brooklyn Nets. Yes. Yeah, they're a maybe to me as well. Um, all right. Atlanta Hawks. No, just kidding. Uh, all right, so I think that's <laughs> that's pretty much the East field. Uh, LA Lakers, obvious yes. Yeah. LA Clippers. Yes. Denver Nuggets. Yes. I agree. Because of Jamal Murray stepping up here and they have the ability to kind of make some uh, make some tweaks as Thaddeus mentioned. Houston Rockets. I'm, you know, I... You want to pick them to win the title right now, right here, right now. Do it. I want to see... I want to see uh, who they hire as their head coach. That's pretty important. Um, but, I, I, you know, I'm a tenant of yes right now. I say maybe there. Um, okay. Utah Jazz. So I, I actually have them on my list here as a team that should be functioning as a, as a championship contender. And I have some question marks about Rudy Gobert. And, you know, it just every postseason there's an issue. But... What Donovan Mitchell did in that first round was just like, oh my God, like this player is just going to be so special for years to come. He could win the scoring title next year and I wouldn't blink. So I just, I have to say yes to the Jazz. As a Western Conference elitist um, who believes that many years the Western Conference finals are the true finals, the Utah Jazz are contenders in the sense that like they could do what the Nuggets and Blazers did the last two years, make the conference finals and basically hang a banner for that, right? Because um, they're not like real contenders, but they're, you know, like they're Western Conference finals contenders. I'll give them a maybe, but I I don't see them as true contenders. Um, What about the Dallas Mavericks? No. I can't go there there with them yet because there's just too many question th- marks. This is where we disagree. I th- I think wow. they're may- I oh. think they're maybe. I'm not going to say yes, but they're in the maybe. Like they're in that that second tier. Um, what about the Portland Trailblazers? I mean, no. Zach Collins uh, back. Nurkic back. <laughs> no. I'm Carmelo sorry, Anthony but... back. Dream Team. Uh, no, I I can't. I can't. I love the Portland Trailblazers. I love. Uh, I love Dame. He's one of my favorite players. Um, he just. Yeah. No. I can't. I can't go there. I can't do it. I'm sorry. No. Neither. <laughs> neither can I. So that sounded to me like maybe seven yeses, five maybes, something like well, in that. Yeah. Well, wait, wait, wait. So the team that you didn't you didn't name one of the contenders. Who's that? Orlando Magic. No, the Golden State Warriors. Oh, Golden State Warriors. My bad. Yeah, I didn't scroll all the way down to the very bottom of the Western Conference. <laughs> um, they're in the maybe category to me. I know a lot of people wow. are really. Okay. No, a lot of people are really high on them bouncing all the way back. Yep. Um, this all comes down to my thorough disappointment in Draymond Green's season last year, and I understand it was a gap year for him. Um, yeah. But I just spent like five years being his number one defender in the press, and that season was rough. So I just want to see the full <laughs> turnaround. You know, everybody talks about this V with the stock market, right, or the economy. I want to sure. see the full Draymond Green V. That's what I want to see next year. And then I'll put them in that conversation. Without that, I don't see it. I I think you have to call them contenders. Like, they have, like, Steph could be the MVP next year. Um healthy clay thompson i completely ignore what draymond did last year i think that 
coming off of five straight finals appearances and then, you know, KD leaves and Steph gets hurt in like the fourth game of the season. And I, I like I just don't blame that for being a really difficult situation for him. And I thought how he navigated it was actually pretty admirable. Um, but you you just you you add in um, the fact that they have this draft pick and what they do with the draft pick. Uh, I think that they're they've got to be considered a contender. Got it. Well, we've got a big field. That's the takeaway here. And I think it makes it more interesting um, heading into next year. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This Father's Day, shop at the Home Depot to find the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. He's the weed-fighting, hedge-trimming, leaf-blowing lord of the lawn. He sees the job, and he gets it done. Because your dad is a doer. So show him you appreciate everything he does with the tools he needs to power up his landscaping game. This Father's Day, give him the convenience and gas-like power of innovative and durable Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools from the Home Depot. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything Dad does, everything he is, and everything he can be, find the perfect Father's Day gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com. When we come together, it's magic. And for 30 years, we've celebrated that. Because our ideas, our art, our flavor, our community, our impact, there's nothing like it. Here, in this place, this is where we fall more in love with everything that makes us, us. This is the place where we love us. Celebrate 30 years of loving us at Essence Festival. Get your tickets at EssenceFestival.com. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. All right, we got one other question from Daddyus. He says, LeBron winning is fantastic for his legacy. And at this moment, he's probably the favorite to get his fifth title next year. Does this uh, sway your opinion of the greatest of all time debate at all? Where does he stand between him and Michael Jordan? So he's asking a very, you know, timely but kind of obvious question. I know a lot of people dove into it. I think Zach Lowe wrote about it again and and some others. This is always on my mind. Of course, um, you're hinting at it earlier this episode that maybe LeBron's getting there. What does the fourth title do for him in that GOAT debate uh, for you, Michael? I mean, it helps, obviously. Uh, You know, if he... If he didn't win the title, then he would have been further away from, I mean, it's just like, that's common sense. But um, 
I think I've taken the stance and I'm going to take the stance from here on out where I don't really want to engage with this question too seriously until LeBron like wraps up his career. I think that that's like fair here. Um, he's How old closer. are you, Michael? You're in your early 30s, right? I- I'm 17, actually. Okay, um, well, you could be 50 <laughs> by the time you're, you're really willing to engage with the most important question in basketball analysis. I mean, come on. No, I mean, I'm, I'm here for it. Like, I'm not backing down. Um, but I just think that when you look at how successful LeBron has been throughout his career, how his career uh, playoff numbers just dwarf everybody else's, like, how do you measure that versus peak versus the championship figure versus, like, there's just so many different things. And... um I, you know, I'm coming off of a bubble championship that I have spent like weeks disparaging. So yeah, slandering it's like, every direction. It's like, it's like I, 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 I count that as a fourth championship, obviously, but I just don't. And maybe someone would come back at me and say, you know, uh, Jordan won this you know, title X with an easier run than or an as easy run as LeBron's uh, to get his fourth. I, I I don't see it that way, really. But No, I um, mean, any of the six teams that Jordan be- beat in the finals are beating those Miami Heat. I mean, that's there's no question. Sure. Um, so, so, yeah, it's like he's closer. He might have already passed him. I don't really know. I, I, really, <laughs> I really don't have a, a definitive answer here. I do think that once LeBron retires, he'll be the best player ever. Uh, so I guess that is my like the closest thing I can get to concrete here. Um, but right now, where we stand today, it's still pretty much a coin flip for me. Um, well, it's a coin flip for me, but MJ's head's on both sides of the coin. Uh, I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still taking Mike. Um, and look, I gave this a lot of thought, actually, on my flight home. It was a long flight from Orlando to L.A., and I was thinking, you know, the champagne was so fun and it felt like, you know, I actually kind of graduated college early, so I didn't get to have that last day of college feel with everybody else. So the bubble almost made up for that. And I'll be honest, I kind of shut down pretty early my senior year in, in high school. I mean, I was my mind was elsewhere, probably starting in February. So I never really had that great like last day of school memory. That's exactly what the bubble felt like. And I finally knew what everybody was talking about and all those sitcoms from over the years and all those movies. It's like, oh, this is what they mean, right? So truly memorable celebration um, and just a really fun night. And I thought, huh, if there's ever a moment that might like sway me and like get to my emotions, this one would be it. But I think when you're you're emphasizing the G and the GOAT, right, the greatest, you have to look to you know Michael compared to his contemporaries, how... Uh, basketball luminaries describe him, what kind of esteem and reverence they hold him in, um, his his lasting legacy on and off the court in terms of dominating culture and still selling sneakers 25 years later and still having high-selling jerseys and the absolute mastery in critical moments, how many players have followed in his footsteps and wanted to be just like him, including LeBron, you know, wearing 23 he has a huge advantage in terms of being first to market, and that's going to always be there from a nostalgia standpoint and from uh, just you know the masses. And I think the the one other aspect that he definitely has a big advantage on is is um, fame, ratings, awareness, and it's it's hard to imagine that because we are so immersed in this LeBron centric society as a you know NBA analyst. 
But Michael Jordan was a much, much bigger deal uh, because there was fewer competing deals, right? There's no video games. There's no social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess it, there were video games, but they weren't uh, you know, as advanced as they are currently. There was fewer professional sports on television. There were few, fewer sports, period. Jordan was just on the list of the very most famous people in the world. And LeBron is probably the most uh, famous American athlete right now, but there's a a gap there between the two of them. I just think that Jordan reached more people. Um, So I I don't know. When I look at great, it's on court, it's off court, it's legacy, it's it's fame, it's the emotional connection that he had with people, the worship culture that he created that LeBron has never quite ascended to. All those things count to me. So I'm still taking Mike. Can can I bring up two things? Please. Um, Number one... How do you factor in the pressure that LeBron faced? Because in my opinion, it's not even comparable. Um, and that is, that's like not to Jordan's detriment necessarily or not Jordan's fault. You know, he came up in the era that he came up in. But LeBron's on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a high school player. He's having his high school games broadcast on ESPN. Um him driving a Hummer is like the leading story on CNN for a day. Um, I just think like the expectations for LeBron were just sky high through the roof and he smashed them. I think that that is ridiculous. Honestly, I think that that is one of the most uh, incredible things about him and no one could have. Here's here's how I look at it. You know, We're not going to see a player better than LeBron in my lifetime. I'll just put it that way, right? And I don't think that we're ever going to see a player handle the scrutiny and the attention and last as long and continue to find ways to improve and continue to find ways to maximize his ability and change the nature of free agency and do all the other things that LeBron's done. We're never going to find someone who's done that. But I still think at Jordan's peak of fame, he was still orders of magnitude more famous than LeBron and getting orders of magnitude more attention than LeBron. Now it was in different ways, right? Obviously, you know, the social media stuff makes a big difference. It just means you're on people's mind constantly 24 seven, 365. And LeBron has pretty masterfully leaned into that and opened himself up almost, you know, like behind the scenes, look, giving people the type of access to himself that everyone always craved from Jordan and it never got. So to me, that's a little bit of a generational gap, right? But I also think that LeBron got all of that hype early because he was the biggest, fastest, strongest, smartest, and most focused high school player that we had ever seen, right? And so he, I mean, he hit his peak potential, but he had an awful lot of gifts that helped him get there. And mm-hmm. I give him credit for keeping his head on straight and having really good advisors around him and making pretty shrewd decisions along the way and uh, flexing his leverage when he needed to. I mean, he made a lot of really important um, calculated decisions to kind of get to where he is now with four titles. Um, but I also think there was a reason why he was called the chosen one on Sports Illustrated. Like, you know, I mean, biggest, fastest, strongest, and smartest. That's a pretty impressive package for a kid who's uh, 16 years old. And it's nice that the story ended this way, uh, no question. But I, I, I'm not convinced by that pressure argument. I mean, the idea that Michael Jordan, you know, can't walk outside and has to stay in his hotel room for an entire season straight. And when, when he beats the Jazz in Utah, like there's people screaming like he's the Beatles, you know. Um, it's just a, a different scene uh, than what we're seeing with, with the modern NBA today. And it's not any current NBA player's fault. 
I just think that the the league had a different role in society back then, in well, part, in large part, because of Michael Jordan. Right, but I think that you have to then bring up the fact that Jordan needed to take a break from the sport, right? So, uh, I, I don't what, love that argument, man. His dad was tragically murdered, and I know people want to re, re um, you know, re argue that or say, okay, well, was he already planning it and everything else, like. You know me. I'm the greatest well, ability well, no, as availability no, no. guy, but like I will make a pass <laughs> if a guy's father is killed. I think we right. could just say no. he can handle that. He can handle that situation however he wants to handle it. I'm not going to be holding it against him. And I also think like LeBron's best argument in this debate is the longevity factor, right? And I yes. do think that when you look at other greats who have had amazing longevity, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Karl Malone are the first two to come to mind, even John Stockton. Uh, comes to mind, my one of my personal favorites. I think in general, the consensus doesn't value longevity maybe as much as it should. Um, I think those guys are all probably slightly underrated historically because maybe their their peak years or their prime years or them being the number one guy or whatever, however you want to frame that, wasn't as dominant as somebody like Jordan. And so their their length of their body of work uh, maybe gets overlooked a little bit. So I am open to that argument for LeBron, but I just don't think you're going to be able to take that title by accumulation. I think so much of what goes into the GOAT conversation is an emotional pull. It's the inevitability. It's the total dominance that Jordan exerted. And there were never situations where like rival dynasties like came up to beat LeBron at his own game. Uh, you know, by forming these free agency super teams that took him down and, and now he's the underdog. You know, during Jordan's prime, there was no such thing as him being the underdog. I mean, he went in there with the pressure to win every single year. That's part of the reason why he was exhausted. So um, I don't know. I, I still come out that like Jordan captured the imaginations in a way that LeBron just hasn't. I think LeBron winds up being more universally respected uh, than Jordan was. But I also think Jordan was just loved and worshipped in a way that LeBron and no other modern player has ever come close. Right. I, I, You know, these are really difficult things to measure, if not impossible and unquantifiable. I do think that Jordan has said that, you know, um, being mentally and physically exhausted throughout that first three-peat uh, was something that did factor into him wanting to go play baseball uh, in addition to uh, his father being tragically killed. So, I mean, it is really difficult to parse for sure. Um, the other thing I just want to really quickly bring up in this debate is where do you stand on the fact that LeBron has now won three titles with uh, three different teams? Because, um, you know, you can kind of look at it like a knock and... Uh, you know, he had to go to the Lakers to get AD to eventually <laughs> team up with him there, which would mean he can tell the future. Um, or uh, he had to go to the Heat to win his first one and team up with Dwayne Wade and get Chris Bosh to sign down there. Um, or, uh, you know, going back to Cleveland where Kyrie Irving was already there and this organization that had like 17 straight first overall picks where he could kind of take one of them and trade it to get Kevin Love, who at the time... I think people forget was like a top eight player in the NBA when he was in Minnesota in his prime and healthy. Um, so like, do you think that that is a detriment to his legacy or do you think that that is an advantage when we talk about the context of comparing him with Michael Jordan? 
Well, the way I always phrase it is Jordan was a franchise player. LeBron is a franchise, right? I mean, LeBron is the one who said, uh, that's why I brought Anthony Davis to LA. Like, that's just a, an amazing statement <laughs> from a superstar player to make during the middle of a t- uh, title push. And, uh, you know, he said it. It was factual. We all believed him, right? So um, it's a, there was a generation uh, gap in, in, in approach between those two. The Bulls built around Jordan. LeBron built whatever he wanted, wherever he wanted. Um, I think... In terms of the GOAT conversation, the most important part to remember is that if you're talking about emotional ties and people, you know, cheering along your journey and all of those kinds of things, sticking in one spot does appeal to more people. It's just a fact. Now, I personally have no problem with any NBA player bouncing from spot to spot. Uh, myself, I always wanted to have the, the ability for free agency if I wanted to take a different job or leave a particular company for some other ones. I always wanted to have that, uh, you know, that option. And so... Uh, Whenever players hit free agency, I fully commend them for taking any any possible advantage. But I also understand how that does rub some segment of uh, the fan base the wrong way, how people will glorify the loyalty aspect that Jordan showed or just like, you know, the blood, sweat and tears of getting over the hump, how LeBron cried in the 2016 title. That was clearly the most meaningful one to him after the years that he had put in in Cleveland previously, not being able to do it and how that was the one that earned him the most universal acclaim from everybody because it was sort of he had come back home to take care of business, right? People loved that story. And I think when you do bounce from place to place and you take your talents to South Beach and you go to L.A., there is some segment of fans that are going to be like, cool, whatever, that's a shortcut. Or they're going to be like, eh, I'm not as emotionally drawn to this because um, you know, th- that particular player didn't have a long storied history uh, with that specific franchise, right? So, I mean, LeBron was trying to bring up the idea that winning a title with the Lakers is like winning a title with the Cowboys you know, or the Yankees. And I agree to a certain point, but it's sort of like A-Rod winning a title with the Yankees as compared to Derek Jeter winning a title with the Yankees. There's a big difference there, right? And I think LeBron's in the A-Rod category. He's not in the Jeter category on this particular title. And that matters in terms of, you know, greatest of all time debates, you know, whether people are going to be valuing him or all of these titles or the accomplishment of going from team to team over Jordan's. Um, I think that it's not like it detracts from him, but I do think uh, it, it holds back slightly. I think that comparing LeBron to a- to A-Rod might be the meanest thing you've ever said on this podcast. I just want to well, put that on the record. Look, 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 look. A-Rod's one of the greatest <laughs> baseball players of all time, right? I don't know that much oh, about man. baseball. I'm just talking about sweat equity, right? Sure, and I'm talking sure. about, you know, who is the Yankees' favorite son, you know? And if you're asking Yankees fans right now, pick Kobe or LeBron, there's no question right? It's the guy who spent 20 years. He's the icon. And that's a tough and, and uncomfortable spot for LeBron to be in. There's kind of no way around that. Um, but, you know, that's how it is. Now, if he wins two, if he wins three, okay, that's going to start to change. And, you know, the interesting thing to me that I've always wondered, what does LeBron have to do to get a statue outside Staples Center? Because with this title, he's getting his jersey retired. To me, that's a wrap, right? And if they had never won a title in LA, they probably still retire it because they're the Lakers um, and, and they take care of uh, uh, their icons like that. But he's guaranteed to have his number retired now. AD is guaranteed to have his number retired now. What does LeBron need to do to have a statue, right? I think that's kind of the next um, the next uh, hurdle for him. And we'll see. You know, if he gets one more, he probably gets a statue. Maybe he gets one if he just sticks around for a couple more years. I don't know. Now, he needs at least one more title, in my opinion, to get a statue. You know, I did an interview with Michael Thompson, Clay Thompson's father, who won two championships with the Lakers in the late 80s. And I asked him, 
you know, how can how do these Lakers, the 2020 Lakers, stack up against some of the greatest teams in franchise history? And he was like, they have to win at least two in a row or two out of three or whatever it is, multiple championships, because you can't be compared with Kobe and Shaq or Magic and Kareem and James Worthy. Um, yeah, this uh, is where I do have some sympathy for LeBron. Can you imagine going through a 13-month season, winning the bubble title, and then people but are like, well, <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to do it again next year. You're really going to have to repeat if you want our respect. It's like, God, that really would get to me. Yeah. Um, can we can we briefly, I don't know, even know if you set this up at the top, but can we talk about uh, like current player rankings right now coming off the bubble and Please. Just where well, we see are, everybody? Are you ready to go Kawhi over LeBron and really just torch the internet? I mean, this is LeBron's got to have that number one spot for right now, right? I think James Harden really has a case right now. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if Westbrook didn't have the leg injury, you guys have no idea what you're making. Man, Daniel Howe screwed it up for everybody. Um, no, I, I do. I sometimes I do feel pretty antagonistic with my opinions. Um, it's, it's. I swear to God, it's not. Um, it's not intentional. I don't mean to well, be that way. Look, let me just say this for the record, for anybody who might be upset by, you know, Michael poking and prodding here and there. They're called the Lincoln and Douglas debates because there was a Douglas, right? If it's just <laughs> Lincoln talking, you don't have a debate. It's just Abe Lincoln's podcast hour, right? So I'm not necessarily saying one is, you know, I'm not claiming that I'm Lincoln or anything else. Just You have to have that other side. Otherwise, it's not as interesting. Anyway, carry on. Thank you. Thank you. Um... So, I mean, I think, you know, all due respect to LeBron, I I think that Anthony Davis is the best basketball player in the world right now. And okay, I think, let, me, let me ask you, is okay. he the most complete, most talented player? Or if you had to draft one player entering next season to win a title, are you taking Anthony Davis number one? <sighs> Look, I, <laughs> we talked earlier about coin flips. Like, this is such a coin flip to me, honestly. And I, I, I totally understand uh, the way that LeBron orchestrates offense and how he has the ball in his hands more and how he can create his shot easier and this and that and, and the other. Um, when I look at Anthony Davis, like – he was able to create his own shot in the playoffs in ways that I was that frankly stunned me, um, particularly in that Houston series where they're trying to switch everything and uh, forcing those isolation situations. I mean, he just looked like Kevin Durant for stretches. And um, he's the guy who hit the buzzer beater against Denver. Um, he's the guy who uh, shut down Jimmy Butler in the finals. Uh, he's the guy who was the best defender in the bubble easily uh, for a team that has it, it built its reputation on defense and LeBron gets a lot of credit for buying in but like that it's like the identity is built on Anthony Davis that's who it is he established yeah. it I'm sorry he, he bought into Anthony Davis Inc exactly it's like when Kyrie Irving is your best teammate are you going to give all you have on the defensive end knowing that you know there's going to be so many countless possessions where uh, Kyrie blows it and it's futile like no he's going to conserve his energy for the offensive end so I just think that that makes a lot of sense from LeBron's point of view but look like Anthony Davis there was no answer for him I I'm not saying that there's an answer for LeBron but there was straight up no answer for Anthony Davis throughout the entire postseason um, 
so like by a hair, I just think AD is slightly better. And I mean, statistically, there's a lot of things you can point to that would support that argument. Um, but like, if you said to me again, like LeBron's the best player, I'm not going to like hold a knife to your neck or anything. Yeah, I would go LeBron one. Um, it's very close. I The distinction I would just make is like, if I was starting a team with one of those guys, I didn't have access to both. Who do I trust to make his teammates better and to make a functional setup and to get the most out of every other piece that he's got access mm-hmm. to? And at this point, I would take uh, LeBron. Uh, I, a lot of it comes down to off-court leadership and mental toughness and experience and everything else. Well, and just, sure, yeah. And the, the ability to get your teammates to kind of buy in, I think it's just like really, really important. And so I, I would take LeBron one. If you're saying who's the most talented overall player in the NBA right now, it's really hard to make an argument against Anthony Davis, right? I mean, he's got, you know, I guess Giannis versus Anthony Davis. I think that, um, you know, Anthony Davis has shown his defensive value in a playoff setting is is greater. Uh, he showed the value of his mid-range and perimeter comfort and shooting. Um, so I think- He was from li- lights out. Lights out shooter from the mid-range, uh, lights out shooter from- I mean, maybe lights out is too strong, but a very capable, uh, threatening three-point shooter as well. Yeah, so I, Con- I, I constant just, threat. I don't think yeah, had to be 100%. guarded. Yeah, so I think you've got to put him over Giannis at this point. Um, you know, even though Giannis has a, an edge in playmaking and initiation, um, I think the other things that we saw from Anthony Davis wound up being more valuable in this playoff setting. Um, you know, it, it gets tricky with a guy like Kawhi Leonard because his season was just such a disappointment. Uh, you know, I came out of that playoff run just really soured on Kawhi. It's not like I'm going to drop him out of my top 10. But, you know, for a guy who we sort of grandfathered into that number one spot, he just did not live up to that uh, in the 3-1 collapse at all to me. You don't want to overreact there, so you don't want to drop him too far. But, you know, Kawhi versus Anthony Davis is a pretty interesting question. I do think, you know, with uh, Kawhi, the availability part comes into it. You know, now we're at the point where we trust Anthony Davis to play 75 games a year and to shake shake off those little ankle injuries that used to sideline him for a while and to play through the the bumps and bruises and everything else. So mm-hmm. and you probably got to put Anthony Davis over Kawhi at this point as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we could be looking at a situation where, you know, until Kevin Durant's back healthy and we could really see what he's doing um, and until Luka, you know, fully blossoms, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think that we might be heading into next year with LeBron at one for me and Anthony Davis at two. I think that's possible. I, I think, I think Kawhi is a little closer to LeBron than you have him, and I'm still a pretty huge Kawhi supporter in general. And well, I'm not sure I'm going to well, drop well, him farther than like three or four. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I also think that we cannot discount the fact that. LeBron's teammate was Anthony Davis and look Anthony Davis makes the game easier for everyone on both ends in ways that someone like say Paul George does not so um, I think that you know trying to parse the differences there is really hard and tough and I think Kawhi had a lot more on his shoulders than LeBron did throughout this run because Anthony Davis, who is either the the best or the second best one A one B in the entire world, um, you know this ridiculous pick and roll partner, this guy you could just throw the ball in the post and he's an automatic double team kick out wide open three. That's just not something that Kawhi got to enjoy. So 
I think that they're like, I think (laughs) it's all just a bunch of coin flips between those three in a lot of ways. Um, And I I just don't want to detract too much from Kawhi, who I think had one, like one bad game. And it was, you know, you don't want to have a bad game in a game seven in the second round, but uh, had one bad game. I'm glad you bring up this idea of Anthony Davis making life a lot easier for LeBron too, because I think it's important. There's mm-hmm. that whole like scientific thing. I think it's like mutualism or something like that, where you have, you know, like a goat uh, as an animal, and then there's you know some sort of a bird <laughs> or like a gnat that like you know picks off the bugs off the goat, and like the bird couldn't survive without the food source, you know, but the goat couldn't survive if the gnat or if the bird wasn't cleaning him. Uh, you know what I'm describing, right? Like on National Geographic where there's like pairs sure. pairs of animals. So it, it reminds me like, you know, going back, people used to always say like Steph Curry because it was his team. You know, Steph Curry makes the game so much easier for Kevin Durant. Like he goes nuts and like, you know, Katie's allowed to thrive because of all the spacing. But the opposite was always true, too. Like, Kevin Durant made life a lot easier for Steph Curry. And when you see him dancing down the middle of the paint for wide-open, uncontested layups, it's like, oh, yeah, maybe KD's presence there is is making life a little bit easier for Steph Curry to go one-on-one. Um, it is the same deal with LeBron and Anthony Davis. And there's way more media attention on how LeBron makes AD's life better than vice versa. So we should describe that mutual, uh, you know, that mutual uh, beneficial relationship. And hopefully we've got some scientists out there who can set me straight on uh, the, the, the proper animal examples and uh, exactly what it's called in the scientific world. I want to close up here, Michael, with just a funny question. It comes in from Michael in, in Tasmania. He writes, we all know it's a copycat league. And with the Lakers raising banner number 17, people would dissect the roster construction and their style and attempt to replicate it. And he's right. We're already hearing lots of talk about who can find an Anthony Davis stopper, right? And uh, is it time to go back to a little bit more big ball rather than just small ball? I mean, we're already hearing those conversations. Michael goes on. Most teams will focus on the players, but let's look at Coach Vogel, a middle-aged defensive-minded grinder whose previous peak was losing to LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals. If only there was another coach in that mold. Oh, wait a minute. Tom Thibodeau fits the bill. My question is, which team will ignore the roster construction, ignore the fact that the Lakers have the second best player of all time, combined with the best two-way big man in the league, and convince themselves that Coach Tibbs is exactly what they need, and why is it the New York Knicks? Brilliant email from Michael. Do you have a response? This is your... uh, your current hometown team there building a title formula around Coach Thibodeau, the next Frank Vogel. What do you think? I mean, the foresight that the Knicks had with this hire, once oh, yeah. again, just ahead of the curve, cutting edge, uh, brilliance from the New York Knicks. Um, to get Tibbs off the market when all these other teams would just be chomping at the bit right now, uh, brilliant, kudos. Uh, might as well be, you know, planning the 2021 uh, uh, championship parade right now for the New York Fo- Follow-up question. Will R.J. Barrett ever be better than Kentavious Caldwell-Pope? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you know. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Look, honestly, it could go either way. I-, I would love to see him hit, but I don't know, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a dicey one. Um, would the Lakers trade KCP for for uh, RJ Barrett tomorrow? Is a really interesting question that I I hope everyone knows that I'm joking. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, yeah, but again, like the Knicks, just um, 
uh, shout out well, to them. Look, his his tongue was in his cheek with this question, yes. right? Um, but I, I was curious. Like, do you think Vogelball, if you want to call it that, right? This this reemphasis on size, force inside, um, trying to make the most of Anthony Davis, uh, you know, from a versatility standpoint. Um, is this replicable in any way? If you were trying to match up with the 2021 Lakers, let's say you're the Clippers. Let's say you're the Bucks. Let's say you're any of those teams that we put into the the yes of the contender conversation. What are the kinds of moves that you're trying to make to match up with them? Or do you say, look, we're not going to beat the Lakers at their own game. We want to do something different. And here's how we're going to try to exploit their front line. Like, what does that look like? I think if you want to, I wrote this, uh, towards the end of the bubble, but like I do think that this emergence of this version of Anthony Davis will really make teams uh, that are serious about winning the title invest a little bit more seriously in size and um, and take more seriously the offensive and the defensive glass and take more seriously uh, uh, legitimate post defenders who can. Uh, you can throw on AD and guard the Lakers pretty straight up without doubling him and getting yourself in a rotation. I, like, I don't know what the answers are. I would have loved to have seen Bam Adebayo in that matchup if he was healthy in the finals. I think that would have been super fascinating because he's kind of the guy, the prototype figure for what a championship contender that's trying to uh, take down a team with Anthony Davis needs, right? So... I mean, is like if the Bucks were in that series, is Giannis an answer? Like, I, I don't know. Like, it's because like foul trouble is a thing, so you don't want someone like Giannis being in that matchup. So I just think it's really complicated. I don't know many people in the world can make Anthony Davis's life difficult one on one, and the answer is they might be like three or four people. So it might be a futile exercise to begin with, but. I think size is super important. I think uh, rebounding could be uh, an even bigger focal point going forward a little bit for teams that have kind of punted on the offensive glass. I think, you know, the Lakers had so much success in the offensive glass, um, regardless of whether or not they were big or not. You know, they would send Caruso, they would send Danny Green, they would send Rondo in to kind of create those second chance opportunities. So I, I think that, you know, the way that the Lakers won boils down to fundamentally having the two best players in every single series and that cannot be discounted but their style of play is something that I think teams might look at and try to replicate a little bit yeah I think if you're the the Rockets or the Warriors you need to have a big traditional center option who you can play right and I think if you're the Clippers you have to ask yourself is Zubak that guy and he might be I mean he had a pretty darn good uh, playoff series but you need to be able to have something to match up when the Lakers go big. You can't try to play super small ball. You can't try to think that you're going to get by with only the death lineup. They will wear you down and they will, uh, I think, you know, break you uh, with their big lineups. And it's not a situation where you can just constantly downsize to like force guys off the court. Now, at the same time, uh, you know, if you're having success, like even Miami showed, um, you know, in the finals where they were able to kind of play Dwight off the court, it is possible. So you want to be able to kind of do both. But I think the days of just really trying to emphasize only a death lineup or only having five shooters or only being maximally spread, um, 
that will, you know, you'll run into a lot of problems if you face the Lakers. You need to be able to do both. So I think that means for Houston, if they don't go out there and get a center this summer, we can just write them off is, is kind of how I look at it. At least a capable option in the middle who they can play um, and, and form functional lineups. Um, and same deal with Golden State. I think they need to be better at the five. They can't get by just playing Draymond and, you know, going undersized because they just don't have Kevon Looney, baby. Yeah. So they're going to need, you know, an awesome season from him, I guess, if, if that's their plan. Um, and then, uh, you know, for the Clippers, the big question is Zupak enough. He probably is, but you're going to, if that's the case, you're going to probably need a little bit more length at the four um, to have a better individual matchup. Or you're just going to have to tell Paul George, like, hey, man, this is now the, uh, this is now your responsibility. You have to be the guy who just shadows AD all over the court. And we saw, you know, years ago how Paul George in Indiana responded to the idea of him playing four. So that might not go super well. Um, <laughs> But but those are the kinds of questions that those you know those those chase teams like the, you know that second tier team um, you know might uh, might have to be asking and I do think if you're Milwaukee you're going to have some problems getting through to the finals but if you're saying you've got Lopez and Giannis as your options at center uh, to you know to, when you want to play big versus when you want to play small it's hard to do much better than that uh, to me. Uh, right now in the NBA, that combination. So I think that they actually match up better inside with the Lakers than a lot of other teams, whether they get there, you know, with, with coach Bud and, you know, his approach uh, is a, is a totally different question, but uh, we'll see. All right, Michael, we've reached the end of another episode of open floor guys, email us, follow up questions. Let us know what you want us to talk about here. The next couple of weeks, open floor mail at gmail.com open floor mail at gmail.com any other ideas on what we've talked about whether it's a contender that we missed or somebody that we overrated let us know we love your emails we love hearing from you especially the funny ones you guys came through with some great humor this week and it really put a smile on my face we're also on apple podcast search for us open floor that's two words when you find our page scroll down it will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy to help us spread the word now michael's on instagram and twitter at michael vias and victor pina I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golver, on Twitter at Ben Golver, and be sure to subscribe to my Washington Post newsletter. It's free, comes out every Monday. You can find the link on my Twitter bio. All right, Michael, until next week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. When we come together, it's magic. And for 30 years, we've celebrated that because our ideas, our art, our flavor, our community, our impact, there's nothing like it here in this place this is where we fall more in love with everything that makes us us this is the place where we love us celebrate 30 years of loving us at essence festival get your tickets at essencefestival.com hey guys back to the playground again huh yep you know what this playground could use a wine country heck yeah and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have supervision, enhanced hearing, extraordinary reflexes, to be, dare we say, superhuman? Well, Roku's new Pro Series TV... 
Can't do any of that for you. But with a 4K screen, side-firing speakers, and a blazing fast refresh rate, it'll sure feel like it. Elevate your entertainment using all your favorite apps like iHeart and play all your music, radio, and podcasts with the new Roku Pro Series. Your senses aren't better. Your TV is. 